Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Hometown Glory. I'm Charlie, one-fifth of what the world absolutely needed right now a new Spurs podcast. It's my great thrill to introduce the other members of our Fab Five. Ash, Billy T. Hello. Rosa. Hello. And Tom. Hey, guys. Now, first things first. We know Adele's song, Hometown Glory, was written about West Norwood and not actually Tottenham. However, A, we all loved it as a podcast name, and it's actually really quite hard to come up with a decent podcast name. B, it felt quite nicely Spurs that it's ever so slightly not right. And C, it's all part of our ultimate goal here, to get our queen, Adele, on as a guest. I don't think I can legally adopt you, no. Sorry. Next, what are we doing here? Well, we all love Tottenham Hotspur. We're all season ticket holders. Not that that automatically qualifies you as a super fan. And we felt we spent far too long in our group chat not to try and turn it into something more productive. We all listened to many excellent football and culture podcasts and after much soul-searching felt we might be able to bring something a little different to an albeit Christmas lunch-level full table, a Spurs and culture crossover podcast. We'll of course chat about the current crushing and or euphoric happenings at Spurs and by Spurs, by the way, we mean the men's and women's teams because that's very important to us on Hometown Glory. But we also want to tap into the fan experience, the culture of being a Tottenham fan we're here to try and capture the grief and the glory that comes with being Spurs. The matches, good and bad, that define us. The self-deprecating gallows humour you sometimes need to survive our club. The iconic and terrible shirts that somehow summon more nostalgia than childhood family photos. The beloved players and the weird, slightly terrible players you still defend to this day. The matchday rituals. Basically, everything from Amsterdam to Zimbrou. And guests. It won't just be the five of us banging on. We'll have some very special guests lined up from the Spurs and culture crossover universes that we're really excited about. 
Speaking of culture, we'll also be sharing our music, TV, movies, books, and art obsessions. The other four are a lot more interesting and cultured than me, I promise. So, as this is our first ever Hometown Glory, we wanted to introduce ourselves properly. And the easiest way to do that, we felt, is for us to face the Spurs 7. The seven questions we'll be asking all our guests. So, here we go. Question one, everyone. I want to know your Spurs origin story. Billy T, you're up first, mate. Go for it. Okay, so my origin story is kind of weird because I'm not actually from Tottenham. Um, I grew up in the Cotswolds uh, in like a small village near Cheltenham, but my family has got Tottenham in their blood. Um, so my mum and dad are both from London, both much closer to London than I was growing up in, and both sides of both their families are Tottenham. So come, they met in the middle, but Tottenham either side. And uh, Tottenham is so in my blood that I've got this cool thing here. So this is a picture from my grandparents' wedding. I'm just going to read to you the caption. So my grandparents actually got married in Tottenham at White Hart Lane Registry Office, but it gets better than that. So they got married on May the 6th, 1961, and hopefully that date rings a few alarm bells. And the caption says this. At White Hart Lane Tottenham Registry Office, a great day for a wedding, Saturday. Spurs beat Leicester 2-1 to win the FA Cup and won the double. So my grandparents actually got married in Tottenham on the day we won the double. And that's kind of where my Tottenham origin story st- started. Amazing. No one can beat that. What? <laughs> and uh, my, my nan always says, like, she got so pissed off because literally everyone at the wedding just had the wireless on in the background listening to the football. <laughs> so I see that Wembley. <laughs> so, yeah. So I'm not actually from Tottenham, but Tottenham is properly in my blood. So, so there you go. And, uh, yeah, basically, as like all of us, well, I'm guessing a lot of us came from my dad and, like, just going from when I was a kid with my dad and uh, I'll talk a little bit about that a bit later as well but yeah from my dad inherited from my dad very cool um, Ash top that I can't I'm sorry but <laughs> both sides of my family are from Tottenham um, when my grandmother moved to England from Jamaica they settled in Stamford Hill uh, my mum's parents are from Ferry Lane um, so yeah everyone in my family yeah, everyone in my family's from Tottenham, all Tottenham fans. Uh, first place I ever lived was Lordship Lane. I live in Tottenham now, about five minutes from the ground. So, yeah, it's just, it's a boring, like, parents uh, inherited story, but not as fun as Billy's, sadly. These are some rock-solid credentials we're hearing. Um, Rosa, over to you. Can we build on this? Yeah, it's the same, really. We're all pretty solidly Tottenham, aren't we? So mine is my dad, again, but he is, like, it starts with him, so he takes full responsibility. So he was a Tottenham fan because his first game ever was at Spurs. I think he actually grew up slightly nearer to Arsenal, probably. Lucky escape? I don't know. Hmm. Um, And he was like, that's the first game he ever went to. That was it. Uh, The double-winning season, I think. So he was like, this is incredible. <laughs> Let's do this. And his brother, his older brother, was a Burnley fan. Like, North London Jews, that's not going to work for long. <laughs> <laughs> so eventually, obviously, his brother saw the light. And then that was it, really. I wasn't really into football um, as a kid. I think I went to my first game in 91, Leeds, nil-nil draw. Did not go back for a few years, surprisingly. And then I think, like, Euro 96 came along and I just thought, you know, I'm ready for this. Like, I can do this now. And just been, and just then went with my dad ever since, really. And now I have a Spurs partner, so there's literally no escape. <laughs> I just want to uh, take the opportunity. That's it. 
I just want to take the opportunity to shout out Rose's dad if you've never met him. He's an absolute legend. Um, in the season that we went unbeaten at the lane, I actually managed to borrow his season ticket for one game. And if I didn't have that ticket, I would have missed the only, that would have been the only game that I missed. So shout out Rose's dad, who is an absolute legend. I think I, I borrowed his season ticket for the Watford game when Deli Ali scored that goal. So yeah, Rose's dad, certified legend. Back when Deli Ali scored goals. Calcium <laughs> days. Um, Rosa, I hope you've warned your dad that he's absolutely expected to be a guest on the podcast in the near future because absolute mensch, uh, Mr. Anderson. Um, Tom, your origin story, please, sir. Yeah, I think like everyone else from my dad, like I'm from North Essex, so uh, it's not like the London bit of Essex, uh, Braintree, but basically everyone's either West Ham Tottenham or Ipswich like there's a bit of Ipswich in the family you're almost in Suffolk there uh and my dad yeah my dad had always supported Spurs he's more of a casual fan than me but he went to games in the like late 70s early 80s um and so it kind of stuck with him and then my first game was Leicester at the lane we lost and my main the main thing I remember when I was a kid was that Robbie Savage got like brutally booed every time he was on the on the uh, ball. Uh, and then, yeah, again, like we lost. I didn't go for a few years. And then when I finished university and moved to London, started going to the actual lane. And that was it for me. Like just the, the atmosphere immediately was like. This is it. This is where I want to be. Amazing. Um, I guess mine's slightly different to everyone's in that my dad isn't a Spurs fan. Um, <laughs> Spurs aren't really a family team at all. My dad and my granddad were both Millwall, but my mum very much put her foot down and said no children of hers were going to be Millwall fans. So um, I went into uh, Italia 90, sort of looking for a, looking for a team age seven, um, getting into football for the first time. Asked my parents who Gaza and Lineker both played for. Um, they both played for Spurs. Jackpot, I thought. I will follow clearly the best team in England. They have the two superstars of this incredible England team that I've fallen in love with. Um, so I basically deserve everything I got for sort of glory hunting and ending up with Tottenham Hotspur. Um, and that was me. That was me sunk after that, really. Um, so had not quite in the blood, but um, live in Tottenham now. Have a daughter called Delphine, who slightly, ever so slightly, named after Deli Ali, um, which might actually coincide with him dramatically falling off a cliff form-wise. Um, apologies, Deli. Um, anyway, let's move on to the next question. Of course, I love Turkey. Your favourite player. This is this is a nice question. Um, Tom, who's your favourite player of all time? This is. Uh, I guess I could have picked it, like a few players from the same team but for me like Luka Modric just watching him on the ball he like a bit like Ericsson was the same I guess and Dembele but so many times watching Modric you were just like how the fuck did he do that like <laughs> so tiny and like tenacious and yeah even though he didn't exactly leave on the best terms I still love him he's one of those and I think he in a way, despite, like you say, he didn't leave on the best terms, there was that awful Chelsea sort of rumblings of him trying to engineer a move there on Abramovich's yacht and it was all a bit murky. But I feel like one thing Spurs fans are weirdly good at is sort of supporting former players in their new 
pursuits. Obviously, Campbell, that sort of player, no. But I remember when Bale won the Champions League with Madrid that first season and Twitter was like awash with kind of... Like, well done. (laughs) Yeah, Spurs well-wishing. And it did feel a little bit like, you know, your partner's left you and you're sort of like wishing them a happy life with yeah. their rich, richer, better-looking new partner. But um, I know all slightly, like... Slightly pathetic, perhaps, but I know still, all f- we are... All fans don't feel the same, but, like, with Bale and Modric especially, like, them going abroad and just killing it, I've I always felt fairly proud, like, and that they were still, you know, a bit spurs. I was just relieved. I wanted them both to do so well that they weren't tempted to come back ever. Do you remember there was that really horrible period where there were all of those rumours of Bale coming back to United. Yeah. So I was, yeah. I was so invested in him succeeding at Madrid. I thought, he can't come back. He can't come back and play elsewhere. So oh. for me, it's not so much I was proud. <laughs> it was just desperation. If people, like, and if people, if, if your favourite player moves abroad, it's, quite, look, it's obviously much better than them going to a rival. And like you said, Charlie, Modric probably could have ended up at Chelsea. So thank God he didn't. Absolutely. And yeah. I think with Modric as well, like sometimes you, we get like a bit deluded as fans when players want to leave us. But with Modric, it was so obvious he was so much better than the rest of our team. Like he was, it, there was no doubt about it. Like we can't really begrudge him moving because, he, I mean, he went on to win the Ballon d'Or for God's sake. So, totally. I mean, he was levels above our, yeah. our actual station. So yeah. I think that that kind of helps with the bitterness as well. Um, he took one look at the kind of next in line and saw Tom Carroll and thought, Do you know what, Spurs are fine. I can, <laughs> I can, I can leave without any guilt. Um, Ash, who's your all-time favourite player? Uh, probably Ginola, Um, because I had a season ticket during that entire period and we were absolutely terrible, like really bad. And even though he was incredibly lazy and he, rather than jogging back to get on side, he would just walk off the pitch and then walk back on when we, when we regained the ball. I just loved him and I think he kind of sums up Spurs in that whenever, even if we're terrible, we always sort of have one really good player and he was that player for me um and it also helped kind of getting over the likes of Campbell when you've got like a really exciting tricky winger um so yeah definitely him good answer I agree I think one thing Spurs have always managed to do is um almost sort of trick us as to how bad things are by presenting someone like Janela to distract us from the the awful crushing reality of it all um Rosa ray of light in the darkness Speaking of, speaking of which, Rosa, who's your favourite all-time spur? Yeah, to be honest, like, Ginola is it's close for me. Um, but I think overall I have to go with Moussa Dembele. And I, obviously, people on this pod who know me well know that I also have a deep and abiding affection for Ryan Mason. <laughs> but if I think about the player who I love to watch, who I just loved and was so pleased when it when it finally sort of happened for him at Spurs, I think it's got to be Moussa Dembele. And I also think when he left, that's that for me is, is the beginning of the decline, frankly. So, so true, so true. You and can, you can mark it, I think, like January, that's it. I feel like in the I think he was, he was just amazing. Yeah. He was an amazing mix of just so strong and so skillful. And how often have we seen the Spurs midfield of all eras just being waltzed through, like just part of the Red Sea? Just be my guest. And I mean, and since he, he left, we have pretty it, much not controlled any midfield teams. 
Exactly. And since literally since he left, you can sort of count on your on your hand the amount of games we've controlled in the midfield. Like it's just been totally bereft of any sort of replacement there. Still, years on. I also remember when he left, and I think I tweeted something about him, and a West Ham fan sort of piped up and was like, "Yeah, but he, like he got no goals or and like hardly any assists." And I was like. Uh, it was hard to explain, like, what he did, especially when you were in the ground. Like, again, like Modric, every game you're like, how did he do that? But this is it. And if you're used, if, if you have that experience of being a Spurs fan and just being unbelievably panicked and stressed out whenever, <laughs> like, a, a, a skillful player at all comes near your midfield and it's impossible to properly describe the sense of peace and calm that would like descend when you saw Moussa Dembele with the ball. You can't, that's not a stat. You can't quantify that. It's that I don't think I've ever heard it described better. The, the impact Dembele had on both our midfield and us as Spurs fans. I think that captures it beautifully. Um, Billy, your favourite player, sir. Yeah, I'm just going to preface this by saying the answer to this question has changed hugely in the last two or three months, and I'm sure you can figure out why. Um, what I assumed would go down as my all-time favourite Spurs player has since uh, kind of gone off a cliff um, and will never be the same again. Uh, but I do want to talk about that. Um, so I'm going to go for Aaron Lennon. Um, I feel like most of my like joy and memories to do with Tottenham are intrinsically linked to White Hart Lane, the original White Hart Lane. And if I think about one player that sums going up there, going up there for me, it's Aaron Lennon, um, because every single time he bought the ball, you could sort of, and this is you know stretching back to when I was like a teenager and seeing him for years and years at the White Hart Lane. Every time he got the ball, you could hear everyone in the ground stand up, and you heard like all the seats move, and like I just remember seeing that and being part of it. It was just um, like being in the South Stand when Aaron Lennon got the ball was unbelievable. And I know that there's that game that everyone always thinks of, um, the North London derby where him and Bale scored like consecutively after each other. Um, and the atmosphere then is something that you know I'll always remember. Um, so I think I'm going to go for Aaron Lennon. And I think going back to the players that we mentioned there, I think Aaron Lennon is a perfect Tottenham player because he was never really like too good for Tottenham. He was sort of always kind of at our level. So he never quite had the end product to like justify being like one of the best wingers in the world. But for Tottenham, he was perfect. So I'm going to go for Aaron Lennon. Very good answer. Um, for me, I can't separate two, but I'm, go- I'm going to. I'm going to go with my my heart, which is Jurgen. Um, I had never seen anything like him when he arrived. I was 11 the season he joined in '94, um, so I was at that real like obsessed with football phase that we, you know, most of us I guess go through. It just felt like he had arrived from a different planet, and I just could not believe that this like A-list footballer was playing for Tottenham. It just blew my mind. Um, then he, you know, obviously came back, saved us from relegation to sort of reinforce this superhero um, sort of status he had for me. Um, and also, you know, I think it was a real good lesson in Spurs heartbreak as well. The fact that this guy that I adored left after 12 months, not even 12 months. And that, you know, broke my heart heart into a million pieces. That's so so Spurs. Boys, boys, I'm on Instagram live. Boys, oi, come on. Okay, the next question I think might be the most fun question we have here. Um, Your favourite demonstrably terrible player. So Spurs have had plenty of these and I feel like all of us have at least one or two that we clutch tight to to our bosoms. We defend to the hilt, you know, those, those Twitter, pub, 
arguments you'll get into where suddenly you find yourself defending some indefensible goal record or some useless plodding centre-half that was, re- was responsible for half the goals we conceded that season. Um, Rosa, who's yours? I have a few, and I've got I've got one that is a current member of the Spurs squad, but I feel like I, I don't want to really... Like, you will all know who it is, or at least you and... Billy Will Charlie um, and I almost don't want to go there but I'll, I'll say it quickly and then maybe one day we'll come back to him it is Ben Davis uh, Team Gentle Ben all the way I love him um, I appreciate that he's just not the guy but what can you but what can you do I will still I, I have defended him in many 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 WhatsApp threads and probably on Twitter too but my original terrible player, because I feel that we're sort of bonded heart and soul, is Didier Zakora. How can you not love a man who simply cannot watch a penalty being taken? <laughs> That's it. That's it for me. Great answer. I'll never forget him being thrown goal in the League Cup final against Chelsea. Yeah. Uh, you know, just could, could wrap it all up. Absolutely. But obviously not. won't. Because obviously won't. He's first through and through. Um, Billy, who's yours? Okay, so mine is a player that I love, and I wouldn't say he's demonstrably uh, terrible, but he's very disappointing to what it, what it could have been, and that is Ben Taleb. Um, when Ben Taleb first burst on the scene, I was, I was head over heels in love with him. I thought he was going to be our future midfield general for like for life. Um, again, go, keep going back to the old stadium, but that game at White Hart Lane when we beat Arsenal 2-1, him and Mason in the middle was like everything that I ever wanted a Tottenham team to be like the work rate we were at Arsenal um, tackling he got the assist with the cane goal I thought right this is it now this is my new midfield hero and then it kind of just I don't know what really happened it kind of just like faltered uh, and when it started to go wrong um, I remember being at a Man United game I think it was where he gave the ball away and it sort of went downhill from there he got sold pretty quickly and I mean I, I don't even know where he's at now I think I know he's played for Schalke or Newcastle this year I, I heard rumours that he was even back training with us over summer I think his career is sort of floundering but I wouldn't say he's a like, terrible player or anything, but compared to what I thought he was going to be and to where he ended up, I thought really, really disappointing because, you know, I really did think this guy, he, I think he was 19 when he burst onto the scene and I really did think this is our future now and this is Ben Taleb, but, you know, kind of didn't didn't work out that way, sadly. We'll always have that first potch season with him. Exactly. With and him. no one can ever take away that assist for the hurricane goal, so oh. there's always that. Um, I'll do mine quickly. Mine is similar-ish era, similar position, uh, Lewis Holtby. Um, I clearly have something for smiley blonde Germans. Um, for, for a minute, I thought he was going to be the player to get that AVB team top four, um, someone on Bale's wavelength. Uh, he wasn't. He was useless. Um, but he did take out Howard Webb at Ledley's testimonial. I don't know if you remember that sort of moment of yeah. uh, sort of high comedy that he produced. But um, And that was such a, you know, I feel like we should have a special podcast just about that night because that to me is like one of the most enjoyable evenings of my Tottenham supporting lifetime. Um, but yeah, it's, it's Lewis for me. Um, Ash, over to you. I was going to go for Freund, but I'm going to actually settle on uh, a tuba. And he's just so bad. And he just did so many ridiculous things. He'd do like a Cruyff turn in like our 18-yard box and just drive me mad. But 
I always remember that goal against Newcastle, which still makes no sense to this day. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I just love him. He just looks ridiculous. Like it's just very Spurs. Um, so I've always had a soft spot for a tuba. One of those players, like back then, it felt like we signed and you had ne- like never heard of at all. And maybe that speaks to me not being particularly up on. I think he came from the Bundesliga maybe at the time and not knowing an awful lot, but just it's that era we just seemed to produce these players that just no one had ever heard of. Sort of two million pound punts, left, right, and centre. Um, great, great days, great days. Um, Tom, who's yours? I definitely fell for Lewis Holtby as well and imagined that he was going to be the answer to everything. Uh, just because I, did he have a bit of pace? I don't know. There was something that seemed exciting about him. Uh, but no, definitely my one is uh, Bobby Soldado. Um, and again, like so much of my Spurs experience relates to being in that South Lower, like Billy was saying, and having like, yeah, Lennon and Bale running towards you like brilliantly. And then these kind of opposite of that is Bobby Soldado and Vincent Janssen like missing absolute sitters and you would like at the old ground you're just so close to the pitch as well but what I loved about Soldado is that the fans really stuck with him he got so much love and as far as I can tell I think he left on really good terms he still sort of has loved Spurs or has a soft spot for Spurs Mm. I wish he'd scored a lot more goals obviously Uh, but yeah, I love that he was just still had so much support for so long, which obviously didn't really happen with Vincent Janssen. <laughs> we were done by then. No yeah. more. Can't say no it. more banter strikers. Soldado <laughs> is the quintessential Spurs man, though, isn't he? He had he endured basically a traumatic time for three years, but still loves us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it started so well with the pen at Palace away as well. I thought like we were away then and it just never materialised. I feel like the pens were all he had for that first six months, wasn't it? It was like, oh, and I, I, would, I would find myself defending him based on like how useful it was to have someone that could score a penalty as if that's enough for a £30 million striker. Don't forget the link-up play. <laughs> I can't remember what it was. I, I, I can't. My memory is not. I can't really remember. I think it was either Southampton or Everton. But do you remember when he actually scored like an open play goal at White Hart Lane? It was Everton. And, like, it was just like rapturous everywhere. Like, I think he yeah. nearly started crying. Yeah. It's like this, this is a striker we've paid cried. like twenty six million pound for, and we're all in tears because he's actually scored a fucking goal. It's like <laughs> Jesus. there was a game against Cardiff that we and you know bottom of the league Cardiff, and he managed to put one in for about three yards or something. And yeah, I, rem- I remember just. Being like, is he crying? <laughs> is he actually like, openly weeping on the pitch? This man is like a Spanish international. Am I going to collab with Peppa Pig? No. Moving on, guys. Moving on. Um, your favourite shirt. This is one that I could talk about for about three and a half hours and took me a long time to to get to my answer. Um, Tom, what's your favourite shirt of all time? I'm not, like, I'm not a massive shirt guy, I'll be honest. Uh, I love... I'm a more of a Nike, I like Nike stuff. So I liked when Nike took over the kit. The kit I've worn to games the most is one of those awful replica shirts from, that my wife got me from the 84, it's 84, 85 replica because I was born in 85 um, with the Holston on the front and the badge in the middle. But yeah, one of those awful cheap replicas and like 
you smell so bad when you get home because they're made from like <laughs> the cheapest material. You sweat so much in them. Billy, what's yours? Yeah, I'm similar to Tom. I'm more of like an accessory guy. I like I like a lot of the tracksuits and stuff that we have. That's more more my street. But um, I'm going to go for the 2001 uh, home shirt, which is a blue. It's a, had a blue collar. It was a Holster and Adidas shirt. And the reason why I'm going for that one is because I just have a memory of when I was in school. My dad bought me that shirt, um, and it's when Glenn Hoddle took over as manager. And my dad got me that shirt with like 10 Hoddle on the back. And as I like, I think I was about 10 years 10 years old at the time. I didn't really have much understanding who Glenn Hoddle was, but my dad was absolutely buzzing when he got. Um, took over as manager and I remember just having that realisation then like seeing my dad that excited about someone being our manager someone's been playing for Tottenham was like this is more than just like a football team that we go and watch now and then this is like mm. our life together this is like it was the first time you know, cause I was obsessed with football as a kid but I think that was the time sort of that around that age is when I first realised like, this is more than a football team this is like our lifestyle so um, seeing that shirt and like Glenn Hoddle and not really knowing who Glenn Hoddle was but it was like kind of inherited as part of our history I think I'm going to go for that one yeah that's a lovely answer um, Ash what's yours I'm the same as Tom I'm not really a shirt guy and I definitely into the Nike stuff and I guess when I was younger Spurs always had pony and things like that and I used to think it was really naff um, but Under I Armour. love the was Under Armour the lowest point in terms of kit supply Puma was alright I guess yeah. for me yeah Under Armour's bad Under Armour's dreadful yeah, Kappa there weren't any good. Bad. Yeah. Were there any good Under Armour think... ones? I had an away that was blue. It was, was, it, was it the blue and yellow? The blue, the navy blue and yellow one Under Armour. That was quite decent. I seem to remember. Was it like an away kit? It was like navy blue with like yellow, sle- yellowish stripe on the sleeves, like a gold yellow. Yeah. Is that Under Armour? I think that was alright. I think Cap is worse. Yeah. That was no. And the thing about Kappa is, like, the fitting on, like, middle-aged Spurs fans just does not work. Like, the skin tight. Oh, man, we're not built yeah. not with Yeah, <laughs> not with a big belly. <laughs> I think one of the issues was that during most of that period, we had to watch Arsenal having, unfortunately, some of the most iconic 90s and noughties Nike shirts, whilst we toiled away with, you know, like you said, Pony. I thought most of the Puma ones were pretty dreadful. Um, you know, Under Armour, Kappa, all these sort of no-mark brands, really, whilst Arsenal, you know, paraded glorious kit after glorious kit. So that was tough. And I can't tell you how thrilled it made me when we inherited Nike and they still had Puma for a couple of seasons. That was... um, that was a nice, a nice moment. But my actual favourite shirt is the '94, '95, like purple away kit because it just feels very iconic. Uh, that's the Jurgen season, right? I think. Yeah, that's the Jurgen season. Yeah. Excellent pick. You sort of maybe stole mine. I'm going to go with um, another Jurgen kit, the yellow, um, the yellow umbro away that we wore from '91 to '95. So that deserves props for surviving four seasons, which is uh, an enormous run in relatively modern football terms. Um, Saw so Gary Lineker in the Cup Winners' Cup and Jurgen in that 6-3 Southampton Cup replay where Rosenthal scored that hat-trick. So across the few eras even. Um, I, also, I also feel like that kit's probably a good example of why we shouldn't rule out the purple and green kit, which I know um, most people absolutely loathe as one that will probably become a bit of a cult classic in 20 years and why I will probably try and justify to Emily, my wife, uh, buying it quite soon. As no, Charlie, piece. it's horrible. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm going to defend Charlie on this. I don't think it looks that bad. 
I thought it was terrible. And then when I went to the game last week, I saw it on a couple of people and I thought, actually, it's not that bad. I don't, I don't really understand the point of it when we have the glory that is the current away shirt. And I think that we deserve to take a second just to acknowledge just how absolutely out of this world this season's away shirt is. Um, I feel like it, you know, it kind of drew a line between Spurs fans, I think, or a line was drawn as to whether or not you felt that it was glorious or hideous and betrayed our heritage and history. But for me, I just think that shirt is an absolute masterpiece and hang it in the Louvre. Like it's, it's, it's extraordinary. Yeah, the current away kit is my favourite. Like, I'm just not a shirt person particularly. Um, this also is actually the first one I've ever, ever bought. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. But and good. I'm, That's good because I've, like, I've wasted so much money. Not as much as Charlie, mind, but... That's it. Um, <laughs> it's 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 awful. I'll go through my collection one day if people really want to be bored. Uh, if you want to lose all all listeners that we might have. What I want to know <laughs> is, did you have to lay them all out so you could decide your favourite for this question? Um, I mean, I do that most weeks anyway, just as a sort of you know, as a kind of wellness activity. Um, but I, it was between the one that Ash mentioned and the the yellow. I just feel like they. They really stir something inside me as a, as a kind of fledgling Spurs mad youngster. Um, but I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that such a modern kit's made it in, actually, because I do think, as we were saying, that, that away kit this season's just divine. Um, Billy, were you going to jump in then as well? Yeah, I have a theory that um, I don't think the, the look of the kit actually matters that much. I think it just gets like linked to the actual team and the memories. So, for example, like the green um, away kit from last uh, for the Champions League one, I think that was a, I think that was a horrible kit to be honest, but because <laughs> it because of what happened in that kit, it's going to go down as like an all time classic kit. So it'd be a shame this year if that away kit, which is like aesthetically one of the best, if not the best we've ever had, if if nothing happened in that kit, like we just sort of languished in mid table all season, like did not did absolutely nothing. Exactly, it's going to be wasted. Absolutely, it is going to be wasted. Definitely, it'd be a shame we couldn't you know play in that in the Champions League or something like that. Like it's a shame. We've done kits. That's good. Um, seems like I'm the only one that's obsessed with kits. That's excellent. I can just, I'll, I'll, I'll interview the guests on that bit. You guys can go and get a coffee or something when we do that. EastEnders any day over Corey. This is a fun question. Your Spurs heaven, that could be a favourite game or just the happiest you've ever been as a Spurs fan, whether it be a transfer or Arsenal losing, whatever it is. Um, and your Spurs hell. So obviously the reverse. Um, Ash, your Spurs heaven? My Spurs heaven is Lucas putting in the third in Amsterdam. And I was lucky enough to be in Amsterdam for that moment and just had a classic night out um, and paid a random person 50 euros for two beers because I just was so excited and <laughs> emotionally emotionally just, cr- like just crying for 10 minutes and hugging and kissing random people. So that was definitely like the best I've ever felt as a Spurs fan yeah your Spurs hell uh oh there's so many moments to pick from uh but I'm gonna go for I think when Drogba scored the equaliser in the Champions League final for Chelsea I was just broken um yeah that was really that was a really low point because I think that stopped us getting top four when it felt like it was on. And when he scored that, I kind of knew they would go on to win. It all just felt very inevitable after that. Um, 
and I was actually watching it with loads of Chelsea fans who barely celebrated after because they could see how distraught I was. Um, <laughs> and they then decided to cheer me up that we would go to uh, a club called XOYO. And I won't name the DJ and the MC, but I know them really well. And I didn't know they were playing and they're huge Chelsea fans. And they just abused me via the, the club PA for the next three hours. Um, so that was definitely yeah, the lowest point. That is amazing. <laughs> to say the DJ. And Name and shame. Uh, yeah, can you tell us? Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. The, the D is it's one man. And the MC is is Asbo, a guy. Well, I was about to say a guy, a guy called Guy. Okay, all there right. They are they are never coming on this podcast. Um, Billy, you're you're heaven and hell. Yeah, I'm going to start off by giving a shout out to teachers because you know what I'm talking about when when I say this. But um, if you're a teacher like me and you can't, you have to like rely on a lot of luck to be able to go to a Spurs Euro away game. Um, the planets sort of have to align for it to like fall in half term. Uh, I'll give you an example for the, in the next half term that is coming up. Our away fixture in midweek is Burnley away, so it's not exactly a, a good one to pick from. But um, a couple of years ago, um, there's a chance that we might be having a Champions League quarter-final in half-term in February half-term and we did and the away fixture was in half-term and that fixture was Man City away and at the time I thought oh, I've, I've sort of lost a chance to go abroad I could have got my away fixture abroad that would have been brilliant but you know I'm going to make the most of it go to Man City didn't expect us to get through at all um, obviously we won the home leg which is again you know you could have a whole separate podcast on how good that night was at the new ground um, I got on a bus with like 50 of my mates we hired a bus went down to Manchester um, and that game was probably the like the most insane amount of emotions I've ever experienced in 90 minutes. Um, the the limbs for when Son scored the second goal are by far the best I've ever been in in my life. Like there were literally just bodies everywhere, and like no one could really believe it. I think it's just because it happened so quickly after the first goal that he scored. It was unbelievable. And then at the end, like obviously thinking that we'd blown it, Ericsson had cost us the whole Champions League, um, and I was literally on my way out the ground. I, I looked into a group chat. Um, who with a, with a mutual friend of ours called Tom had just like I just like saw a message from him saying they're checking for offside. Like literally hundreds of us just turned around, like started legging it back into the stadium. And the <laughs> announcement came that it was offside. Like oh, I've never been through anything like that in my life, and I doubt I ever will again. So that game against Man City was my heaven, um, and my hell is again linked to an away day. Um, and it's in a way that I actually was really random. I was sat next to Deadly King for this game. But it oh, was wow. a game that we lost. Uh, he was, for some reason, sitting with the fans. It was a game that we lost 5-1 to Newcastle. And, uh, um, and, you know, that season we were going for the league. And I think why it was so disappointing is because it's the first time in my life that we were ever in a title race. And that was incredible in itself and absolutely gutting with what happened. Um, but I thought we could always fall back on the fact that we were finally going to finish above Arsenal. And at the time, it was like, I'd never done it in my lifetime since I was... I think it happened once, maybe when I was like a baby or something like that. And it just seemed something that would never happen. And then that season, we were above them for most of the, you know, we were neck and neck with them. All we had to do was beat Newcastle to finish above them, and we fucked it in an insane manner, lost 5-1. And at the time, that just felt like the absolute end of the world. So that's my uh, hell. I'm, I'm sort of really quite traumatised just even remembering that game. That that The whole summer, that stayed with me in a way that I'm embarrassed to admit was like, Oh, it was a really terrible big deal for me. I didn't realise how bad it was until you messaged me, Charlie, because I was on a train back from Wales. So I just pretended that it wasn't happening. And I knew that we were losing, but I thought I won't look. 
and then you messaged me and you said, Rosa, other teams lose, but they might just lose by two goals, by three goals. And I was like, oh my God, there's more. <laughs> by four. But no, we had to lose 5-1 and that was the first time I knew how bad it was. They had 10 men in that match. Like, it just, it was just ridiculous. Um, and it was Sissoko that tore through us. Like, oh, it's just, you just, oh. I mean, you just can't even, can't even comprehend can't anything. Like. And, and we were so good that year as well. That's the thing. Like, we were such a good team that year. And we managed to do that on the last day of the season. It's just, Jesus. I'm going to jump in because my, my hell is the Battle of the Bridge, actually. So, sort of, a couple of weeks that. before. A couple of weeks before. <laughs> uh, I know it's probably quite contentious in a way because I know a lot of people, you know, see that as Spurs sort of finally standing up for themselves and, you know, giving it back to, you know, sort of bully boy rival. And I obviously appreciate the merit of watching Eric Dyer and Danny Rose sort of lose their minds on Chelsea players. But to allow Chelsea and a useless Chelsea at that, it was one of those seasons where they finished like ninth or something, if I remember, to give them the chance to hand Leicester the title after we went two goals up. That just that finished me off in a in a bad way. Um, I, I mean, the, the the whole Chelsea rivalry annoys me, and I feel like we'll probably get to rivalries perhaps on a different podcast. It annoys me to my core in the sense that why are we their number one rival? Like, get get your own rival. Like, we've got Arsenal. Obviously, the same applies for West Ham, but tenfold in that they're even I think more ridiculous in choosing us as their rival when we have two other clubs that we place far far more above them um as a rival but anyway that was my that and was the my fact help. that there's no rivalry between chelsea and arsenal is disgusting it's absurd it's why disgusting. is that the kumbaya like they, derby is i think it is, is the, kumbaya derby. the way they the way they like sell each other players they don't care it's it's a, they're a disgrace they're a disgrace to football exchanging chance about how much they hate tottenham like that's seems to be the, just terrible um speaking of arsenal my my heaven is um is is the final north london derby at white hart lane actually i think to beat arsenal in that final derby at our you know beautiful home that we're about to tear down to ensure that we finished above them for the first time in two decades was so against type for us as a club i simply could not wrap my head around it i was absolutely beyond convinced that we would do something to mess that up. When I saw those last two fixtures at White Hart Lane and it was Arsenal and then Man United, my heart sank because I was like, oh, well, that's what a way to see off the stadium. We're going to probably lose to, you know, our biggest rival and then, you know, Jose's Man United will see the ground off. But we didn't. We did it. And I, I was just on cloud nine for weeks. Tom, what's yours? Heaven and hell. You and Billy have touched on it, but like I would take for heaven the entirety of that last season at White Hart Lane because, again, I think, like Billy was saying, I think I went to every home game. We were unbeaten. It was kind of just before I had my first kid so I could get away with going to every home game. Uh, and then, like, to top it all off was, like, that final game, beating United and then getting like Jose's United as well. And I think because we'd beat Arsenal, I felt even felt relatively calm going to the game, mm. like given that we were unbeaten to that point. Maybe I'm remembering it wrong. I doubt I was actually calm. But <laughs> like, yeah, winning, beating United and then getting onto the actual pitch, walking out of the South Lower onto the pitch 
was like surreal and, uh, and amazing. And I don't really remember much about like that weird, this sort of weird ceremony they had afterwards, but just being on the pitch, at least for whatever it was, a few minutes was pretty amazing. And like, yeah. also we haven't, we haven't topped that since, have we, that season? Like, you mean you don't remember the go compare guy doing his, doing his bit when we all thought it was going to be Adele? <laughs> Do you, remember the, oh, do you yeah. remember the speculation? It should have been Adele. Everyone was convinced there was, that, that we would have been That was so West Ham. That was so West Ham. I was like Adele or Skepta or Adele and Skepta. Adele featuring Skepta. Skepta featuring Adele. And we've got the fucking go compare guy. <laughs> was Kenneth Branagh there? I mean, he must have been there, right? He's a, he, he's... He did the voiceover for that amazing video that yeah. made me cry. Yeah. Um, there was a uh, rainbow. I remember that. Which just felt there was a rainbow, like another, yeah, yeah, sort of another weirdly like improbable, yeah, you know, God loves us moment. You know, he obviously doesn't, but yeah. <laughs> in that moment, we felt blessed. And then you don't obviously I was there as well, so you didn't really notice it at the time. But that video where it goes to Pochettino's face, man, and like oh. you can see the emotion on his face, what yeah. it means to him. That fucking oh, oh ag- mate, that gets ag- me, you know, gets me thinking about it just now. Again, I didn't realise at the time how much I would miss the old stadium as well, you know, like, Mm. and that South Stand was like crumbling, like genuinely felt like it was falling apart around you. You could like, you could either get a beer or go to the toilet at halftime. You couldn't do both. Um, And if you did get a beer, it was horrible and you had to down it in like 10 seconds and run back to your seat. But still somehow I I, like, I really, really miss it. Um, And just quickly, the hell is... I, like, I don't even go away that much, but I was at the 4-0 at Anfield under Sherwood when he was in his gilet and for the entirety of the first half was sat in the director's box for no apparent reason. Why is he up there? The, we were singing, where is our manager? Um, <laughs> Kabul scored that own goal in the second minute and then things just got worse from there. <laughs> like, I still can't believe that day. And there's, I think there's video footage of us singing let's pretend we score scored a goal and then like pretending that we've scored and celebrating again it's like so spurs but and fucking hell sherwood but that's another pod that's a whole podcast as well uh, the, the sherwood special is going to be quite the listen i think um rosa <laughs> you've got to get him on <laughs> i mean for a small fee i imagine we could, get it, him, yeah. we could get him on for a full season <laughs> yeah my that's my hell his first game in charge is the the first game after AVB got sacked because and it was the West Ham League Cup game and I didn't want to go. AVB had been sacked. And I was so miserable. I know it was terrible at the end with AVB, but I loved him. I still do. I don't care. And I just didn't want him to be sacked, and he did. It was inevitable. And it was so depressing. I didn't want to go. My dad wanted me to go. I went along, and I just kind of sat there the whole time with my like hood up, basically sulking like a child, (laughs) feeling really sorry for myself. And then Adebayor scored, and I don't even think I really celebrated. (laughs) That is that pathetic. And then inevitably they won anyway. And they won, they beat us like three times that season and like printed T-shirts and all that. I think that's that's that has got to be one of the lowest points, and I know it's really low because my dad wanted to go for an actual drink of actual alcohol afterwards, which we do not do and have never done together. 
<laughs> but it was only a few short months, really, from my hell to my heaven, which is New Year's Day 2015, Chelsea 5-3. So tired, so hungover, so bleary. Still not really sure to this day if it really happened or if I was having an out-of-body experience. <laughs> but incredible. I've never, I've never been that happy, I don't think. Even, like, that whole first season with Poch is still my favourite season, I think. And that game is it for me. The thing that you weren't expecting to happen. Do you know what I love about that match? I love that we sort of remember it as a thrashing. And yet, actually, we only won by two clear goals. And I remember when they scored their third one, there was still enough time left that I was like, oh, God. I think it's going to be five all. Yeah, and even, I thought they were going to win. <laughs> and I remember there was a point thinking, "Well, I'll settle for I'll settle for a draw." That's fine. I remember just being in a stoppage time of like thirty seconds left, just like shitting myself. It's like, what if they score two goals in like five seconds each? And like we were two goals up with thirty seconds to go, and I was still nervous. It's like, just oh, that was a great game. That's Thursday, was- isn't it? There's an yeah, argument totally. that we should have called this podcast, I'll settle for a draw. <laughs> 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 the amount of times I've said that to whoever's been unfortunate enough to be sat next to me in the stadium. <laughs> I love those answers. Thank you for your uh, harrowing memories and uh, euphoric moments of joy. Um, speaking of harrowing moments. Stranger danger. The next question, where is everyone at with Spurs right now? Um, Ash, where are you at with Spurs right now? Not in a great place. Um, I don't mind Nuno. I just hate all the players. Um, <laughs> I have done for ages. Um, I kind of the, the the great thing about the great thing about the Pochettino sort of like era was that, especially when he shifted out Kabul and Adebayor and a few others, was that I felt like we had this genuine connection to like a group of players for the first time. And for me now, that kind of feels done. Like. Everything that happened with Kane in the summer, I'm just still infuriated by. Um, and I just think it's gone stale. And I think people, a lot of them should just have outstayed their welcome. As, like, I don't know, it's just a weird, it just feels very stale and a bit weird now. Um, I think we just need some new players in. I agree. I mean, I, I think the reason to answer the question for myself, I feel surprisingly calm and maybe even quietly positive is that I do think we do have in Paratici, and I know that's not how you pronounce his name, <laughs> and I will get better at it. Um, but I think there's perhaps a plan in place, at least from the player recruitment side. I think, you know, in the guys that he's brought in, I think you can see that there's a pattern to it. He's a young-ish, most of the time, talented young players that we can, I don't know how many more times I want to say young players, um, that we can get behind, and hopefully a, a, a new spine of a decent team is forming. So I'm I'm kind of all right. Uh, and I feel like as long as I can see some sort of a plan with Spurs, I'm always okay. It's when it's just, oh, we'll just give it to Sherwood for the rest of the season. That's when I lose all hope and faith. Um, Tom, what about you? I guess I'm stoic. Like, we've been here before. Like, we were just spoiled under Poch for a while, really. Well, and the and Redknapp. And I feel bad for Nuno because he's had no time. It was the Euros. He yeah he really hasn't had much time, but losing three in a row and conceding nine in the league was pretty awful, wasn't it? And the fact that like West Ham are better than us, 
like it feels weird to be saying that is like pretty depressing but yeah I'm hoping Brian Gill Brian Hill and Romero um might be part of the answer I mean we also have need a striker and have needed one forever and that was it was insane that the another transfer window went and we didn't buy a striker but fingers crossed things get better do you know the mad thing is that we're actually above West Ham in the table, which I've only just realised looking yeah. now. I was like, I've not looked at a table since we were we were top for those glorious two weeks in that first international break and then things fell off a cliff and I've not looked. But remarkably, we're eighth on 12, 12 points and West Ham a ninth with 11 points. Um, I, I also just can't take that they're in the Europa proper and we're in the conference and they've had some quite played quite well in Europa so far it's just yeah we're in a worse European competition than West Ham and that is spinning me out um, I hate them both to be honest like <laughs> we've, we've never done anything in the Europa I feel like it's pointless every year we think oh maybe this year we'll 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 do something we'll win it and we always end up crashing out embarrassingly it doesn't really matter and playing Thursdays and Sundays yeah. is, like, the worst. It's the worst. Rose, is sticking with you. Where, where are you at in general with, with Luno's Tottenham? Yeah, I'm somewhere like in between you and Ash, probably, in that I do despise a majority of our players. Um, and I'm, I'm sort of slightly irritated that when I went on Sunday, I had a really nice time, and it was actually very <laughs> relaxing. <laughs> and it was more, like like back when we weren't very good and you would go and you would and it was nice to be with your people and even when you lost it was a lot better because you're with your people and it wasn't that sort of desperate stressful agonizing emotional everything just means too much that we had for five years with Poch which I loved but by the end of it I was pretty exhausted I want that back and I don't want it back so I'm I'm sort of in limbo much like Spurs I guess uh, the other thing I would say is that the women's team is doing really well. It's super exciting. Time to just focus on that for a little while, I think. And as we said in the intro to the podcast, we will definitely be concentrating uh, some of our time on talking about the excellent, very likeable women's team uh, that Spurs need to be building. So we're really excited to um, to get stuck into that in the in coming episodes. Um, Billy, finally you, where, where are you at? Uh, yeah, I'm not going to like um, like languish in turmoil or anything like that. But um, you know, I came into the season quite optimistic. I felt really sorry for Nuno at the beginning. Um, I thought he was dealt a terrible start of the whole Kane thing um, and the Euros. You know, it was, a, it was a really difficult start. We beat Man City, playing really well, and I thought, oh, you know, this is going to be could be in for something here. But I think he's really quickly revealed himself to be the sixth, seventh choice manager that he is, um, and I don't have much hope that he's going to turn it around and think I, th- I think it's pretty obvious that he's just a stopgap appointment and as soon as we've got more money from the stadium and stuff we're just going to look to hire someone with a better CV um, but positive on the positive side of things I think a huge issue over the last four or five six years and the one which has stopped us from taking that step with the trophy is recruitment and now we have a new guy in charge of that seems to be getting on the right start um, the players that he's brought in seem to be d- pretty decent I'm a big fan of Brian Hill already um, Romero should have played against Arsenal. Can't believe he didn't. But finally, it's looking really good. So I'm just hoping now a new era of recruitment is exactly what we need. So onwards and upwards. And um, just a quick fire answer required here. But say PSG 
crash and burn as it feels like under Poch they might. Nuno, as Billy said, feels like a stopgap in so many ways. Next summer, would you take Poch back? Yes. Yes, yes from Rosa and Billy. Tom? No, I kind of, it just feels regressive going back to a previous manager. Ash, I feel like um, definitely, definitely not. No, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> is it another podcast you're making? Is it another podcast? <laughs> yeah, the, like the only reason I want him back is so that we can just like stop talking about him. <laughs> to be <laughs> basically, sorry, sorry. Uh, guys. Well, the good thing about having five people in this podcast is that there'll always be uh, a decisive vote. Uh, I vote yes, Potts should come back. So Potts, you should come back. Uh, there yeah. you go. Um, he's not just our old manager. He's our true love. Come on, guys. He's our dad. He's our Spurs yeah. dad. Yeah. <laughs> and I love Rosa's dad, so... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Final question, and we move away from Spurs now. Uh, a culture recommendation. So you can choose from music, movies, TV, books, art, anything you want. Let's get cultural. Yes, I'm excited for Beyonce's next album. Are you mad? Rosa, what's yours? Um, I'm going to go with um, Mythic Quest. I'm going to let Billy um, have the one that should have been mine. <laughs> Uh, Apple TV, a sitcom um, about a world that I know nothing about, online role-player games, but is absolutely hilarious and has an amazing, amazing performance by F. Murray Abraham. Good pick, good pick. Billy, To um, I think we might be able to guess based on, well, maybe not actually. I only know because literally we were talking about it. No one else will know. Billy, what's yours? Yeah, I'm going to go for that one in a second, but I've also just got one quick music rec in it. Um, just because Ash mentioned One Man earlier, one of my other favourite DJs, Ben UFO, is um, in the same circles as One Man, because they're both solely DJs and not really producers, um, has just done an essential mix, which is amazing. Um, came out last Saturday, you can catch it on BBC, and it's two hours of you know one of the best DJs in the world being one of the best DJs in the world. Um, <clears throat> and my TV rec, which I stole from Rosa, and I know that we're all, I think, I think we're all into, is Ted Lasso. Um, and I love the way it's kind of gone from strength to strength this season because it's kind of transitioned from like a half hour comedy to like a 45 minute drama almost um, and the comedy elements are still there but you know you've really sort of fallen in love with these characters now um, and no spoilers but I just want to finish by saying two words which are fuck Nate Amen to that quite frankly um, Ash? I should have given this far more thought but I've, I just picked Salt um, which is a collective of musicians uh, mainly from London um, and there's, I think there's four albums now. I may have got that wrong. There's three, four, five albums, but they're all amazing. And you should go and buy the latest one on vinyl because it's only up for a limited time on streaming. And it's just, they're just excellent. So go and listen to the Salt albums. And it's S-A-U-L-T. Excellent. I could not agree more. They're all superb. And um, Tom? Just on TV, um, on Disney+, Plus, which like I barely use and just have for my daughter to watch Frozen on, uh, Only Murders in the Building is really funny. It stars Steve Martin and it's like half hour episodes. And Selena Gomez is quite good in it as well. Uh, but yeah, that's good. And then, oh, musically, so I saw Fortet the other day at Brixton, which was pretty amazing. Floating Points went back to back with uh, Joy Orbison first as the support, which was amazing. And then Forte opened his set with Origin Unknown's Valley of the Shadows, 1993 drum and bass classic, and then went straight into Pink Pantheress, who's this sort of young singer. She's about like 18, and she's got all these 90 second two minute songs out 
that are really good and kind of drum and bass influenced and are definitely worth checking. She's got a mixtape coming soon. And what a cool name as well, Pink Panthers. Big up the UK garage message. Yeah. Um, the comeback begins with her, it seems like. Um, I'm going to go with TV. I watched um, a documentary the other day on uh, Mardi Fish, the tennis player, Breaking Point. Um, and uh, he retweeted me. So I feel like that was that was quite a nice moment for me, quite honestly, in these very dull times. Um, it's amazing. I feel like any young athlete or parent of an aspiring talented athlete or coach of should should watch it's, it was really eye-opening music wise um i'm gonna shout out wet leg um the band two-piece um both both girls from the isle of man um feel like guitar music in this country needs a shot in the arm or leg in this instance and um they're just the, the two songs they put out so far just both are absolutely incredible. I think Shares Lounge, the first one, and White Dream came out last week, I think. And um, yeah, I think they've finally given, they've kind of reinvigorated UK guitar music, I think, in quite an exciting way. That rounds us off. That's the seven questions answered, guys. I hope that wasn't too taxing or emotional. It was emotional for me. I apologise for my sort of emotional outburst. Um, we know what you're like, Charlie. You know what I'm like. This won't be the last um so brace yourselves this has been incredibly enjoyable i hope you've enjoyed uh listening to us go on about tottenham and other stuff um we're very excited to have you along for the ride if you decide to listen to our second episode which will be coming very soon um guys thank you so much for your time um i'm thrilled that we're doing this after an awful lot of chat and yeah i look forward to the next time thank you ever so much tom ash rosa billy been a pleasure. Cheers, Charlie. Thank you. Is someone going to do a Paul Coit style up the Spurs? Up the Spurs. I love Gaga.